It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seat Studios, get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code OVERTIME. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for the weekend mailbag. And we've got some news to talk about, too, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, it's been an eventful week. There have been some whispers about what's going on with the latest injuries, and we definitely have some news on that front. But more importantly than that, Chris, because I just saw that Princess Megan is complaining that people aren't asking how she is. How are you, my friend? I'm sad and upset because I I saw what happened to Patrick Mahomes, and I don't know if I'll ever get over this. I am sad and upset, too, because... Patrick Mahomes is going to be out a couple of weeks, which means we don't get to watch him play. But we don't know exactly the extent of the injury as we record this. So fingers crossed that the bet. So fingers crossed for the best diagnosis possible for Mr. Mahomes. Some injuries with the Jets as well. Let's start with Kalecio Semele. He's got a pretty bad injury. It sounds like he may miss a lot of time, maybe even the entire season. He had been supplanted by Alex Lewis, and it looked like it was heading in that direction even before Assemble got hurt. But still, if nothing else, this hurts the Jets' depth situation on the offensive line. Yeah, let's start right there because that's really the important part. Um, with the way Alex Lewis played in those first two games, uh, Kalechi wasn't getting that starting gig back unless you know Alex Lewis got hurt or uh, completely imploded himself over the next couple of weeks but this does hurt the depth situation where they were already light at depth uh, across that offensive line um but yeah what's going on right now this feels like one of those times where you know the players contemplating whether surgery is necessary or if he can just heal with rest um, you know, I know uh, Ian Rappaport uh, sent out a tweet saying that he was done for the season. Adam Gase kind of uh, delivered a shot across the bow at uh, Rappaport um, in yesterday's press conference saying that Rappaport must have better sources than he does. And he specifically <laughs> said Rappaport by name. That was uh, kind of funny. But uh, so it, it just feels like there's right now there's you know they're in that middle ground trying to figure out if he could if it can heal properly with with just rest uh, or if it actually needs surgery. A lot of times when this happens, the answer is really you you should get surgery, but the player doesn't want to, and that's understandable for many reasons. 
uh, not wanting to go under the knife. But that's usually how this turns out to be. We'll wait and see. But, again, either way, Alex Lewis has played great since he's been there. Um, so whether or not Kelechi can come back or not, it, it's the concern is really for a backup guard at this point. And we're not entirely sure who's playing and who's not playing just yet. The full injury report will be coming out, and we will have a full look at that on the pregame report on Monday. In fact, we'll talk to Dr. Steven Stoller about the particulars of that as well. However, we do know that apparently Ryan Khalil is a little banged up. Yeah, so he got hurt yesterday in practice. Um, He will not practice today. He hurt his shoulder as well. Jonathan Harrison will obviously... uh, slide into that spot until we until Khalil can come back or you know maybe this is, it turns out to be an Alex Lewis Galecio Semele situation where Khalil has to miss the game Jonathan Harrison comes in plays better and then Harrison gets the starting job here on out I'm not willing to go that far obviously the, you know obviously it helps a little bit having that extra day going on Monday I'll give them an extra day to check out, evaluate everything, see what it is. But getting hurt on a, in practice on a Thursday and then not being able to practice on Friday, that's generally not a good sign for that week's availability. So maybe that extra week will help. Maybe they're just doing holding him out today for precautionary reasons. We'll have to wait and see. But there's a, there's a pretty good chance right now that Jonathan Harrison will be the starting center on on Monday night. Good news, though, is that C.J. Mosley, from his own mouth, says that he is going to play on Monday. That is a huge lift, not only for the Jets' defense, but for the Jets in general, which increases the chances of the Jets not only covering the spread, but also even winning the game outright, which you can bet on, along with a lot of other things over at mybookie.ag. If you believe the Jets are going to cover the spread, and I'm curious to see what my brother Craig thinks about this when he comes on the show tomorrow to give his picks for the weekend, I highly recommend heading over to mybookie.ag right now and signing up with the promo code OVERTIME because if you do that, you're going to get your first deposit doubled. That's right. They're going to match your very first deposit. You can bet on the Jets to cover. You can bet on the money line with the Jets winning outright. You can bet on a bunch of different props, including whether or not Le'Veon Bell is going to get his first 100-yard rushing day of the season whether or not Sam Darnold's going to have more touchdown passes than Tom Brady, whether or not I'm going to throw out my voice screaming at Tremaine Johnson. If I were you, I would bet yes on that one. You can also bet on all the rest of the games around the league and so much more. Go ahead right now over to mybookie.ag, sign up using the promo code overtime, and you're going to get your first deposit doubled. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. And Chris, as it pertains to Mosley... It could be argued that he is their best player on defense and he is coming back at a time when they really need him because with Sam Darnold back in the fold, with the Jets offense really starting to click, the defense needed that lift to get them to that next level because now they're going up against Tom Brady again. And if they have C.J. Mosley back, that is going to be huge. Really excited to see him play again. Yeah, well, let's start with that uh, the comment about him being maybe the best player in this defense, and I think you're absolutely correct about that. But think about how good a lot of the, so many of the players of the defense played on uh, Sunday against the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. That entire defensive line, Bolo Fadakasi, uh, Leonard Williams, Quinn and Williams, then in the secondary you had 
Uh, Jamal just uh, had his best game of the year. Marcus May played an outstanding game. And then you, you look at those performances and say, wait, wait, none of those guys are the best player and they're getting the best player back. And yes, I think that is absolutely correct. It was, it was definitely funny yesterday. He talked to us reporters and then in uh, a group setting and he's, he was talking, he was answering questions, kind of, you know, everyone tiptoeing around it and him tiptoeing around it. And then eventually he basically just cut the reporter off and was just like, I'm playing Monday night. He, he got sick of tiptoeing around it and was just, I'm playing Monday night. Um, Jace didn't sound nearly as confident when he was talking earlier in the day. It was a little more uh, touch and go, but as CJ Mosley went through individuals yesterday, felt great and determined and made the assessment himself that he is not going to be held out of this game. Uh, today, Adam Gase said that CJ Mosley will do uh, participate in team drills. So that's another good sign. Uh, you know, barring any setbacks, he will be playing. And that's a huge boost to this Jets defense because, like we just said, he is the best player on this defense. As of this recording, Henry Anderson is still up in the air. We will have the final word on that when we have the final injury report. But Adam Gase did say that he's trending in the right direction. So for whatever that's worth, we'll see if Henry Anderson ends up playing on Monday. Quick news and notes from around the league. Obviously, the big news is the Jalen Ramsey trade. He goes to the Rams for two first-round picks and a fourth. I know a lot of Jets fans wanted Jalen Ramsey, and any time a player of that caliber becomes available, it's certainly something that will interest people, and it's certainly something that I'm sure Joe Douglas called to inquire about. But the bottom line here is, as good as Jalen Ramsey is, two firsts and a fourth for a team that desperately needs those picks to completely rebuild the core of the roster just doesn't seem like the kind of move that makes sense for the Jets right now. For the Rams, this is a Hail Mary because I think they probably realize that their window is fairly short because they've got a bunch of guys that are coming up that need to get paid. I don't know how long they can keep that core intact. They just paid Jared Goff a ton of money, so they probably feel like this is their chance to strike, and so they're throwing all their chips into the center of the table. I get that for the Jets. I don't know if that would have made a lot of sense, so I totally understand why Joe Douglas wouldn't have tried to trade the farm for Jalen Ramsey. It's a risky move for the Rams. It would have been kind of nonsensical for the Jets to give up that kind of draft capital, and on top of it, I doubt Ramsey would have wanted to come here anyway. Yeah, I agreed on all all counts of what you just said. And also, I, I don't think this really makes sense for the Rams either. I like what the Rams do with this type of aggressive approach. But the biggest problem was not their secondary. Obviously, Tlaib went out, and then they just basically switched Peters for Jalen Ramsey. But their problem is on offense and the offensive line and the fact that they have so much money invested in Todd Gurley and Jared Goff and neither of those look like wise decisions right now. They all also have a ton of money invested in Brandon Cooks, obviously in Aaron Donald that you 100% want to do, uh, but now they're going to have to pay Jalen Ramsey. And on top of that, they don't have a first-round pick for the next five years. Um, so I, I don't know, uh, this, this doesn't seem like a move that's going to win them the Super Bowl this year. And if they don't win the Super Bowl this year, they've dug themselves such a huge hole with cap 
uh, and lack of draft picks. I, I, I don't know that it's a great decision. Getting rid of all the, the factors, what it costs to get them, obviously Jalen Ramsey would have been a huge boost to this Jets team, especially with Darnold back, Mosley coming back. Um, you know, Jets' weakness on defense is the, their cornerbacks. And it, the real weakness is really Jermaine Johnson because Daryl Roberts is – He's inconsistent, but he has his moments. And you can get by when you have uh, as good of a defensive line, as good a linebackers, as good a safeties. You can get by with one bad outside a corner if the other one is a shutdown type guy. But with Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts, that's going to continue to be a problem. But you, they could not, absolutely could not give up two first-round draft picks, not with so many needs that they have. Uh, not with needing to address the offensive line, which we've talked about ad nauseum over years. McCagnan kept trying to do through free agency, but you really have to build up a lot of that through the draft. Uh, they just couldn't afford to give up two first-round draft picks. So I, you know, I'm I'm sure Joe Douglas checked in and tried to see if he could get it cheap, but it, he wasn't going to do it. And I don't think he would have even if it would have made more sense. I just don't think that Jalen Ramsey would be his first power move signing. Um, That's completely me guessing here, but I just think that he would probably try to go for, you know, more of a quote unquote culture guy. And the other part of this equation is that Marcus Peters ends up getting shipped to the Ravens for a fifth round pick and a reserve player. This was something that a lot of people brought up in terms of the Jets. Why didn't they give up something like that to get Peters? Obviously, the Jets need a lot of help at cornerback. I personally just don't see the value of getting Peters right now only because he's played poorly this year. He's somebody that's known as being a bit of a bad apple, and they're trying to change the culture here. And on top of that, he's a free agent at the end of the year. So if they really want to go after him, they can at the end of the season. I think the price wasn't that prohibitive, so if they would have done it, I wouldn't have winced or anything. But I understand why it wouldn't have made a lot of sense. This makes much more sense for the Ravens, who are going to take a flyer because they know that they have something to play for this year with the Jets. At this point, they really have to be more in sell mode than buy mode. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, I'm sure we'll end up talking about this a little more, but, you know, there was report like uh, about a week ago or whatever that the Jets were going to be sellers at the deadline. And I kind of was like, all right, like you, you hear some, somebody say someone's going to be sellers and you're thinking that they're going to be selling off a bunch of parts, trading off a bunch of parts. And I just don't know where those parts are. Obviously, there's Leo. Uh, but I don't know what, what other players that they'd be willing to trade that teams would actually give up anything of value. All the, the players that they'd be willing to trade, uh, all the players that teams would give up value for, the Jets aren't going to be willing to trade. They're not going to trade Jamal. They're not going to trade Robbie. They're not going to trade you know, those types of guys. So the only one there is that is really uh, Leonard Williams. Um, but yeah, at this point, even with the, you know, the feeling great after that Cowboys win, even with Darnold Mosley coming back, even with Herndon coming back, looking at the schedule and you can look at that schedule as optimistically as you want. And you can even sit here and talk yourselves into the playoffs. It still doesn't really make sense to, to give up high draft picks to go after, uh, you know, players and leverage the future. I hate that phrase, but uh, 
with the limited amount of picks they have uh, and everything, they need those picks. And I just don't see anybody out there that they can get for a reasonable price, uh, picks-wise and asset-wise, and actually do that. So the mo- the most likely thing is, you know, a Leonard Williams trade, get a little something back. But I, I'm still a little skeptical that we'd actually see that ha- see Joe Douglas and the Jets pull the trigger on that. Two names that Manish said we should keep our eye on as outside chances to be traded. One of them, Jordan Jenkins, because this is his walk year. And so if the Jets have decided that they don't want to pay him long term, you could see them moving him if somebody makes a decent offer. And the other one, and this will surprise some people if you haven't listened to the podcast with Manish yet. And if you haven't, you should go into the archives and check it out. He mentioned Marcus May. Now, he is arguably playing the best football of his entire career. However, let's remember, he's 27 years old, he's injury prone, and he's going to be entering the final year of his rookie deal. So, this could be the chance to get maximum value for him. I'm not saying he's getting traded, but that is an interesting name to keep in mind if teams start to make some phone calls about guys on the Jets. That could be another domino that could fall. Yeah, I don't see that. I'm certainly not going to, you know, knock up Manish there or or question him. He could certainly have some information that I don't have. But, number one, this coaching staff uh, really, really loves Marcus May. Even Adam Gase loves Marcus May, um, and he has since they walked in. And, number two, and as, as good as Marcus May has played this year, but the other thing is that fans don't realize is, when you have a safety like Jamal, you also need a safety like Marcus May. They work hand in hand. I remember talking to Bart Scott a long time ago about uh, his time in Baltimore with Ed Reed and uh, about Samari Roll and how Samari Roll, being that single high safety, allowed Ed Reed to do what Ed Reed does. Uh, the, the, Ed Reed could freelance and could go off and do whatever he wanted uh, because Samari Roll was back there to cover him up. And same thing with Troy Palomalu and Ryan Clark in Pittsburgh. Uh, Troy Palomalu cannot do what he does if they didn't have Ryan Clark back there that they trusted to hold it down behind him. So if, if they if Jamal to be at his best and be able to freelance and operate as he does they need somebody back there like Marcus May to compliment him there. And this coaching staff loves him. I understand fans might be thinking, trade him now while he's healthy so you can get something for him. But then you open up another hole, and <clears throat> that single high safety spot is a tough one to fill. This, uh, people do like to talk about safeties like it's interchangeable. But you're talking about that single high free safety spot is not so interchangeable. That's a tricky position to fill. So I, I'd be I'd be pretty surprised if they ended up trading Marcus May. I agree. I wouldn't move him unless they get a really good offer. But if you're going to trade him, now would seem to be a pretty solid time to do it because of the fact that his value is probably not going to get any higher, especially based on the fact that you're always under the assumption that he could be hurt at any time based on his history. If they've decided they don't want to pay him long term, then I could see it happening if a decent offer comes. But we'll wait and see how this turns out. I have a feeling that Marcus May is not going to be moved. 
I'm not even convinced that Leonard Williams is getting moved. I think that if teams want Leonard Williams, they're going to have to make a pretty good offer for him because I think Joe Douglas realizes that Leonard Williams has a lot more value than a lot of people think. And I got some heat on Twitter recently when I said that I think a lot of people are going to be surprised to see the disconnect between what front offices and coaching staffs value Leonard Williams at and what Jets Twitter values Leonard Williams at. And to back that up, Adam Schefter said in his tweet talking about how teams have called about Leonard Williams that he expects the Jets to get at least what the Jaguars got for Fowler last year, third and a fifth, probably more if they are to move him. And then Schefter later went on television, and I think it was in an article too, said that there's precedent for a deal like this and cited Jadavian Clowney putting Leonard Williams in the same category as Clowney. Now, you could argue whether or not Leonard Williams is as good as Clowney, but the point is that Schefter isn't taking this information out of thin air. He's getting this from front offices and coaching staffs and people that are very plugged in around the league as far as Leonard Williams' value. And you saw the numbers that he posted about quarterback hits and pressures and stuff. The coaching staffs and the front offices think much more highly of those stats than a lot of Jets fans do. And that wasn't me being condescending. That was just me saying, look, if Schefter is saying this, then obviously teams around the league value Leonard Williams a lot more than a lot of the fans of the Jets, especially the more vocal ones on Jets Twitter. So that's really where I think everything is going to come down at the trade deadline. I think that if the Jets are going to move Leonard Williams, they're going to have to get what they perceive to be good value. I would think maybe a third and a fourth, something along those lines. Marcus May, I would be surprised to see him move, but maybe if somebody offers up a third for him, they'd think about it. That's where I'm at with this, Chris. I think there aren't a lot of players to sell. As you said, most of the guys that teams would call about the Jets would not be interested in trading, and most of the guys the Jets would like to move are guys that don't have any trade value. Yeah, let me be condescending for you, and also, you know, uh, to my own horn a little bit, because on this own podcast, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned the Dante Fowler comparison. Leonard Williams is considered around the league a much better player than Dante Fowler was at this time. Dante Fowler had, you know, the higher pass rusher upside, but around there was nobody thinking as highly of Dante Fowler at the time of the trade as Leonard, as they think of Leonard Williams right now. Um, there, that was, so to use that trade as a comparison of what they can get is totally reasonable. That makes perfect sense. And he's they're Absolutely. The league and everybody else absolutely looks at Leonard Williams a lot differently than fans. Fans only want to look at sacks. Well, I, you can argue about how important sacks are, how important QB hits and QB pressures are, but I'm going to tell you right now, Every defensive coordinator in this league likes QB hits and QB pressures. Yes, of course, they would like a sack. A sack is better, but lots of bad things can happen to an offense with QB hits and QB pressures, too. And if you're getting QB hits and QB pressures, you're more than likely you're going to open up things for other people as well. And even if you're getting double teamed a lot and you're not beating those double teams, that has a lot of value because that opens up things for other players. And, you know, there's the hidden production things and the Jets fans roll their eyes at hidden production. But it matters that what he does to free up other people does matter. Um, 
if the Jets were light on the defensive line and they got rid of Leonard Williams, you would it would be extremely noticeable the impact he would have leaving. And I think it would be noticeable for a little bit with the depth that they have. But they do have such good depth with Folu Fadakasi playing so well recently, with Kyle Phillips playing so well recently, with Quinn and Williams, you know, rounding into form, getting a little bit better. Uh, they they can probably afford to do it and without too much of a drop off. But it, teams around the league are going to want him. They are, they're going to they value him much more than the Jets fans do. And, uh, you know, if, if he's still probably going to get, if they hold on to him and let him walk in free agency, he's still probably going to net them a third round comp pick. Of course, the thing is right there that that wouldn't be, uh, they wouldn't get that pick until 2021. So maybe Douglas would be willing to settle for, you know, a third, like you said, a third and a fourth, uh, because they could get, he could get it for next year. And that could expedite the process of being able to help them, get extra draft picks for next year. Um, but he he has a lot more value than Jets fans think. And obviously Schefter has a little bit more clout than me. So I, I said it before Schefter reported all this stuff, but Schefter reported it and that confirms that I am in fact correct. And as my Twitter bio says, I am a football genius as Paulie Brzez once dubbed me. <laughs> That leads into the mailbag too, Chris, because our first question comes in from Tom who asked about Leonard Williams and he said if teams called about Leonard Williams and Robbie Anderson, what if they offered a second for Leo and a third for Robbie Anderson, would you be willing to trade those two? I think for a second you would probably have to deal Leo at this point unless you're on yes. the verge of signing him to what you would consider a very reasonable team-friendly contract. As you said, they have a lot of depth on the defensive line, and you'd love to keep Leo, but you're not going to shell out $15 million a year. So if somebody is willing to give you a second-round pick that you feel you could use to either grab a corner or rebuild the offensive line or maybe even grab that elusive edge rusher that you've been wanting, then I think that that's something you can do. I'll say the same thing about Leonard Williams that I've been saying for a while. Even though he started off the season really poorly this year, and there's no denying that, although I think he played much better against the Cowboys, He's a good to very good player who's producing right around what you would expect from a mid to late first round pick. He hasn't been that elite player that you expect when you pick at number six. In fairness to Mike McCagnin, though, and we like to trash Mike McCagnin plenty, if you look at who else was available at that spot, there's zero question that Leonard Williams was the right pick. So it's just a matter of getting kind of unlucky there. But Leonard Williams has produced like a mid to late first round pick. I think if Leonard Williams had been picked where Darren Lee was picked at number 20, people wouldn't be complaining about him as much as they are as far as Jets fans go. I think that the fact that he was picked at number six and so highly touted out of USC has raised the expectations, and they should. Don't get me wrong. You expect an elite player at number six, but he hasn't been elite. He's been good to very good. There have been far worse picks at number six than Leonard Williams, and I do think that he certainly has more value around the league, as Schefter has indicated through his reports, than a lot of Jets fans think. And as far as Robbie Anderson goes, no, I would not trade him for a third-round pick. I think him and Sam are really starting to cook together. You saw it toward the end of last season. Michael Nania had some great stats about this. He played great with Sam in the last game against the Cowboys. I think that's a guy that the Jets should invest in long term. And we actually have a question about that 
Jets. I'll throw it in right now. Somebody asked about why the Jets haven't gotten together with Robbie on a contract extension yet. Because if he keeps this up and he hits the open market or they have to franchise tag him, it's going to cost them a lot more money. And Chris, I know that you've talked about this in the past. You take care of your players early and you end up saving in the long run. I don't have any information on whether or not the Jets have spoken to Robbie's people about an extension. Maybe you do, so I'll turn it over to you in a second. But I do think that it would be wise for Joe Douglas to get together with Robbie's representatives in season and get something done now the same way that Mike McCagnan did with Quincy and Nunwa in the middle of last season when they got that extension done. I think it would work out well for Robbie. He could have that peace of mind of having the guaranteed money. It would be good for Sam to know that he has one of his top receivers locked up long term. And I think it would be good overall for the franchise because they would save money if they get something done now instead of waiting for Robbie to continue to erupt. So Chris, multi-prong question there about Leonard Williams for a two, Robbie Anderson for a three. And why the Jets haven't engaged Robbie's people, or maybe you have information that they have about a contract extension yet. Yeah, okay, so we'll start with the Leonard thing. Absolutely, you get a two for Leonard, uh, for Leo, take it. Uh, Absolutely, no-brainer, go for it. Uh, Trading Robbie for a three, no, not doing it. Um, A, you take Robbie away, and then this offense loses a lot. I mean, his ability to stretch the field, is that's not something that you can just find. Um, and that opens things up for everybody else. Um, that is going to make Jameson Crowder so much better. I was, uh, you know, impressed in uh, what I saw with Demarius Thomas uh, last week. He, he looks like he can contribute more than I thought. Um, it's going to open things up for Herndon. And then you talk about Darnold and Robbie's uh, chemistry, the way they work together, the way that they they really like and uh, respect each other too. Uh, there, there's no way I'm looking to trade Robbie. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying that I I wouldn't turn down any offer. Of course, you know, give me a Jalen Ramsey offer, and and I'm taking that. But they're not getting an offer like that for him. But this this idea that Robbie's a one trick pony uh, is absurd and also Deshaun Jackson has been looked at a one trick pony his entire career and guess what he's awesome when he's healthy he's awesome and the offenses he's on are become awesome because it makes everything easier for everybody else um you it's hard to find guys that are that good at uh beating defenses deep um he's probably going to struggle this week going against Stephon Gilmore and that Patriots defense but over the next couple of weeks, uh, even against Jacksonville with Ramsey gone, we can see Robbie uh, really dominating against, you know, the Dolphins twice, the Bengals. Um, those are going to be bad teams, so you can kind of brush that up. But Robbie's a really good receiver with a skill set that's hard to find in this league, and it just does not make sense to get rid of him. If you, you get a third-round pick for him and – what are the chances that the guy you pick in the third round is is nearly as good as Robbie Anderson? Um, they're not that good. You you can get a you know a late first round pick, and the chances are that he, that player might not be as good as Robbie Anderson is. Uh, there's so many busts in the first round. It, like there's just no certainty there. You know what Robbie is, what he can do, and his chemistry and relationship with Sam Darnold. I'm not rocking that boat. 
I did a couple of weeks ago. I did check in with somebody about the possibility of the Jets extending Robbie. And it was kind of, you know, this was before the Dallas win. Uh, Sam was still out. So uh, the answer I got now was, uh, then was really that they're in kind of a holding pattern right now. They needed to wait for Sam to come back, know when Sam would come back, how some things look uh, before they would really start doing that. But I wouldn't be surprised at all with, if within the next couple of weeks they start, they approach Robbie's representation. Uh, it would probably, if it were to happen, it would probably happen, like you said, like Quincy later in the year. But I would think it would probably be, you know, a month long process of exchanging numbers, going back and forth. That's the other beautiful part about doing, uh, extension talk at this time of year is there's, there's no real urgency or rush to it. So you can just casually exchange numbers. People aren't getting so insulted by it. It does seem to make the negotiating process a little bit easier and friendlier for both sides. So I definitely wouldn't be surprised at all. And especially if he continues turning in performances like he did last week, I definitely expect to see that. Um, I'll probably wait another week or two before I check in on an update for that situation. But like I said, the last time I checked, it was kind of they were in a holding pattern. And uh, but I again, I it wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think it would be really smart to go ahead and do um, for the reasons that you said. Uh, and what I always talked about if, if you confident you're going to sign a player and you like the player, you sign them as early as possible because the chances are that player that price is only going to go up. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Jesse Peretz. He says, the NFL is a copycat league. Which team is going to give its quarterback mono next after Sam Darnold got mono and came back and played so well? <laughs> Jameis Winston in Tampa, maybe? What do you think, Chris? 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe get and give it to Mahomes now. See if that can cure that <laughs> that need too. Um, yeah, you know, I, you got to you got to go with the young guys. This is what I know, though, because chances are uh, you, it, they're way more susceptible to it. So you got to target the young guys here. Next question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott in the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. Jamal Adams had a great game, but I was also impressed by May and Poole. What does Tremaine need to do to get benched so we can see improvement in the secondary? He can't keep up with anybody. I can see McDaniels exploiting him on Monday Night Football with crossers all night. And this goes along with a question from Robert Lee. He says, any chance Tremaine Johnson gets cut before the start of the 2020 league year, or does his cap hit need to wait until the season after? So let's start with Sean's part of this question, which is about Tremaine getting benched. Honestly, it sounds like what they're waiting for is Nate Hairston to be healthy, and then he'll probably come back in and take over that starting cornerback spot from Tremaine Johnson again. It's hard to believe that Greg Williams, who's been around defenses forever, and who benched Tremaine Johnson earlier in the season, can't see what's right in front of his eyes. So I would imagine that once Hairston is healthy, we will see him starting on the outside opposite Daryl Roberts. As far as the cap hit, this is where the NFL gets really interesting. Their cap is structured so much differently than the other leagues. So you have to look at two numbers every year. You have to look at what the dead cap money would be and what the cap hit is. So If a player has a dead cap number that's more than the number that he would receive for being on the roster, there's no chance he's getting cut. The first two years of the deal, the dead cap number for Tremaine Johnson was $34 million and then $24 million this year. Zero chance that that was going to happen. However, next season will be the first time that the dead cap number will be less than the roster number. So the Jets could save $3 million by cutting Tremaine Johnson. They would still get charged with a $12 million cap hit, but they would save $3 million if he's not on the roster. I never would have thought I'd be saying this, but he's been so bad that if things don't change... I wouldn't be surprised in the least. In fact, I think it's fairly likely that Tremaine Johnson will be released before the start of the new league year in 2020 because a $3 million savings is better than nothing and there's not anything that you're going to get out of Tremaine Johnson at this point unless he shows something the rest of the season that we haven't seen. I think he's been about as bad as you can be. I don't see any way that this changes and I think that he will probably be gone at the end of the season just based on the fact that even though it's going to be a decent-sized cap hit, it's still going to be a savings of $3 million. And if we're being honest, he's a black hole right now in that secondary. Might as well save the $3 million. Yeah, so uh, as you said, uh, what's it going to take for him to get benched? It's going to take Nate Harrison getting healthy again and being ready to play. And that's pretty much it. I think once Harrison is healthy and ready to play, he will slide back into that starting role. Also, I want to... Uh, just uh, chime in here and add on to comment. Brian Poole has uh, really surprised me with how Mm -hmm. good he's been. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not surprised at all how good he of a tackler he's been and how good he's been against the run game, but he has been excellent in coverage as well. And, and that slot spot. So uh, that's been a very pleasant surprise, but uh, as far as Tremaine Johnson next year, yeah, you, you hit it there. Now the thing is as bad as Tremaine Johnson is, Man, this contract was awful. 
uh, you, I can look point at this contract as a singular reason why Mike McCagnan deserved to get fired because it, you, you ran through this year's numbers and next year's numbers. Um, it will be twelve million in dead money next year. They'll save three million if uh, if he's on the roster at the start of the league, third day of the league year. Eleven million of his salary becomes guaranteed in twenty twenty. But so though. They'll, I think they, they will absolutely move on from him, and they will just eat that twelve million next year and take that three million saving. Uh, but twenty twenty one, they're still paying eight million dead cap money against it. Uh, they'll save nine million in twenty twenty one, and twenty twenty two, he's still going to cost them four million against the cap. Um, it, it's really that, how horrible this contract is is unspeakable it's just an absolute disaster but as you said they can save some money starting next year and if the, if it was saving five dollars at this point i think they'd take it <laughs> that was my thinking exactly chris he's giving them negative value at this point so if there's any type of savings here you move on there was no way they could do it the first two years because as i said the dead cap number was 34 million and then 24 million but next year with the way that he's played he's not even capable of being a decent backup so might as well move on next question comes in from john McAnally. he says the patriots always seem to zig when the rest of the league zags so in an era where the rest of the nfl is prioritizing offense the Pats have the number one defense. Although all of us fans want to devote resources to building around Darnold, should the Jets zig where everyone else is zagging, copy the Patriots, and prioritize the defense in the offseason? He also asks, does it seem strange to you guys that the team's official app is sending notifications encouraging people to gamble? Maybe I'm just old school and this is the world we live in now, but it just seems weird to me. So let's start with the first part of it. That is an interesting thought. I think that you have to mix it up between the offense and the defense because, yes, obviously they need to give Sam Darrell more weapons, but you do need an edge rusher. You do need help at cornerback. So if you can make moves there, you can turn this defense into a really nasty defense. If Avery Williamson comes back next year healthy, you put him with C.J. Mosley. If you can get a really good edge rusher in here, we've already seen what the defensive line can do. The safeties are among the best safety tandems in the league, and if you can upgrade a corner, now all of a sudden, as you said, you're zigging when everybody else is zagging. That doesn't mean that you can't make investments on the offensive line and get Sam Darnold an extra playmaker or two on the offense. I think the offensive line absolutely has to be top priority, but I do think that investing into those key parts of the defense is certainly a good idea. And as far as the gambling, you hit on it right there. It's weird to me too, because this is just not something I'm used to seeing, but this is the world we live in now. And so these teams are going to send out notifications because they know that gambling is what stirs the drink. They've always known that gambling is the straw that stirs the drink, but now they're actually allowed to not pretend that that's not the case. I'll start with the gambling part because it is what you just said, but it's also a, an advertising partnership. Uh, that That's all that is. That's what that is. And now the league can actually make money by partnering with these betting websites and these, uh, whether it's DraftKings or FanDuel or actual straight-up gambling 
um, you know, that that's what it is now. And especially with it, uh, sports gambling being legal in certain places and New Jersey being one of those places, that's what it is. And uh, if if you think these teams are passing up any revenue, any revenue whatsoever, if they can get legal revenue by by the U.S. laws and by NFL laws, they are going to take it. So, yeah, you, you just kind of need to um, get used to that there. As far as the doing the Patriots and zigging while everyone else is zagging, um, you know, I don't necessarily uh, – necessarily i have celery on the mind for some reason necessarily <laughs> think that uh this was really something that the patriots like had some long thought out plan i think they kind of looked at their roster at the end of last year and identified that the defense was going to be their air the team that or the side of the team that they could put their focus on to be the best and it's also easier to do that when you have Tom Brady as your quarterback, a veteran mm-hmm. like Tom Brady as your quarterback, mm-hmm. and Bill Belichick as the coach, they can afford to get by, right? You know, with the offense kind of puttering for a little bit, and then they'll end up turning around at by the end of the season. Um, and uh, also, importantly, you can you can do this. You can go a little defense, but the main thing is you need they need to focus on that offensive line so Darnold doesn't get killed. But the other thing is with the defense, they don't need to do a lot. I mean, you could, again, like I was saying earlier with the corners, if you can just get one shutdown corner, you can live with Daryl Roberts as the other corner. Uh, if they can get an edge rusher or two and then uh, one really good corner or two just solid good corners, then all of a sudden you're good. That that linebacker core is is pretty set. That you need to add, a, you know, a straight up pass rusher, whether that's at a DN or line outside linebacker spot. But that linebacker core is good. The defensive line is good. The safeties are good. Brian Poole in the slot is good. There's really just like three, four at most spots that they need to upgrade. And that defense is really good. So there doesn't need to be a lot of focus and attention on doing this. You can still put most of the focus and attention on building the offense and just pick out those three or four guys, one or two of them in free agency and one or two of them in the draft. And then the focus can be on offense. And and this situation the Jets are in, you can do both. And I would add to that, We'll see what Nate Hairston has when he comes back because if he can show that he can be a solid outside corner, then that makes the job a lot easier because then if you can add, as you said, maybe not even a shutdown corner, but as my friend Jim Gary likes to say, a keep him quiet kind of corner as the other corner, then you might have something with Hairston and the quote-unquote keep him quiet corner and then Brian Poole in the slot. Although Brian Poole only on a one-year deal, so that's another guy that the Jets might want to look into extending sooner rather than later. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them. Keep up with all the transfers in college basketball and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet.
Next question comes in from Joe at Soul Brother. He says, what's going on, gentlemen? I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. I'm happy Sam is back, but am I crazy to think that his footwork has actually gotten worse since last year? It looks atrocious when he throws the deep ball. He also throws in, as far as food goes, what is one food-related quirk you guys have? My cousin, who happens to also be incredibly fit, likes to slather mayonnaise on his pizza. Oh, my goodness. I will sometimes drop a dollop of jam in my cereal. So let's start with the Sam Darnold question. First of all, I love the fact that you use Debbie Downer. I love those old-timey expressions. I love to say stuff like Doubting Thomas or Panicky Pete. Jim Norton, the comedian, makes a habit of doing that just to be funny, and it always amuses me, so good for you for doing that, Joe. As far as Darnold and the footwork, though, I think that it's kind of hard to make a judgment that's definitive after only one healthy game this season. His footwork definitely looks sloppy a lot of times. Part of that is because he was out of sorts because the offensive line wasn't putting him in good positions to throw. The other is that Darnold does still have some bad habits. But the one thing that we learned from watching his film at USC and we learned last year watching him with the Jets is that Darnold has that rare ability to make excellent throws even when his feet are messed up. Now, that's something you still want to fix, and I think that Adam Gase is going to work with him over the course of the rest of the season to try and limit that because you don't want it to become a habit. Just because a guy can hit a shot with his foot just inside the three-point line in the NBA doesn't mean you want him taking that shot because it's low percentage. The same way that even though Darnold can make those throws with his footwork being sloppy, there's still a much greater chance of error if his feet are sloppy. So you want to work to minimize that the best you can. But I wouldn't panic too much just yet, especially since he was excellent throughout the game anyway. As far as the food question, I have a couple of weird quirks, I guess. I tend to drown a lot of stuff in ketchup, most specifically when I'm eating a hamburger or a hot dog or something like that, french fries. Also, I love extra sauce on pizza. I love to go to a pizzeria, get my pizza doused in sauce. I'm a big sauce guy. So off the top of my head, those are two things that I definitely like that I guess are a little bit quirky with my food. Chris, I'm sure you've got plenty of quirky food stuff too. Yeah, I don't have too many quirky food stuff. I have uh, the the only really quirky food thing is, uh, you know, I'm one of those the people who likes to save the, the uh, best part of stuff for last. So, uh, you know, even like we'll use pizza as an example. I start eating pizza and I start eating at the top of the pizza like a normal, sane, uh, rational, non-psychotic person. But about halfway down the slice, I tend to have a habit where I might flip that slice and then eat the crust and then finish the rest of the, the pizza without the crust. So the, the last bite isn't crust because I like crust. But that's not what I'm getting pizza for. Mm -hmm. I want my last bite to be the most delicious part. Mm -hmm. So that that's really my only real uh, food quirk. But as far as the question about Darnold's footwork, I saw this question on Twitter and I got super excited because this is an awesome question because I think this is one of those uh, those situations where you're not he's not wrong, but he's also not right. Um, or he's right, but he's not wrong. He, however you want to look at it. Because at times, Sam's footwork and stuff he does is not textbook. It's not by the book. It's not how you're supposed to do it. But the, the thing is, you, this is something that gets drilled into kids and as you're coming up and as it's like, all right, this is, we don't know how good you are, so we need to do everything to maximize 
your potential and you need to do everything strictly as fundamentally as possible to maximize your ability. But there are certain players that are so good at certain things that they, those rules don't necessarily apply to them. And I'm going to look at something as basic as how, how many times have you heard about a quarterback should never throw across his body? Never throw across your body in the middle of the field, right? You, you've heard that throughout your entire life, you've heard that. But how many times have you seen Patrick Mahomes throw across his body and make a perfect throw? How many times have you seen Aaron Rodgers throw across his body and make a perfect throw? Because they play on another level. The game's slower for them, and they can identify and pick their spots. Obviously, that's not something that they want to do a lot, and they don't do it super consistently. But when they're able to see a play that can develop, they're trusted enough to go ahead and pull the trigger and do that and make that play. And we saw Sam do some of that last year, too, where there was, you know, there was one throw against Buffalo last year, I forget which game it was in Buffalo, where he did a similar thing and threw across his body, and it was an absolutely outstanding play. Um, Darnold does have a habit of throwing off his back foot, but it more often than not, it works out for him. And part of the reason why it can work out for him is because of his ability to just flick his wrist and make these perfect throws. He, the way he torts his hips, the way he uses his wrist to do stuff, he doesn't need to have it, his feet set as much as other quarterbacks generally tend to need to do. So he can get away with some of that stuff because he's so much better in certain areas than your average quarterback is. So it's not. Sometimes it's not going to look pretty when you're really looking at the textbook de- definition of how the footwork's supposed to go. <clears throat> but watch, watch. You know, not. I'm not talking about this year, Eli Manning, or even the last couple years. Watch prime Eli Manning when he throws off his back foot. That that ball is getting sailed. It's it's nowhere near where it wants to be. As soon as you see him throw off his back foot, you know it, it's going to end in disaster. With Sam Darnold, it doesn't work out like that. He still is able to be extremely accurate doing that, and that's just because of the rest of his ability. He can overcome that type of stuff. Um, so, yes, it, it, you know, looking at it, it doesn't look ideal, but that's how he does it, and it gets the job done. Another example to use here is, you know, look at somebody like Philip Rivers. When he was coming out of college, everybody had – uh, questions about the arm angles that he would throw passes. And now you look again at someone like Mahomes, almost every Mahomes pass is at a different arm angle. And, you know, I have talked about uh, the uh, quarterbacks having baseball backgrounds seems to be a trend that I want to get in on. Uh, the ability to throw at different angles helps. But that was a huge knock on Phillip Rivers coming out. But it was effective because that's just what he did and he was able to do it. And it was like, yeah, most quarterbacks can't do that. They, they cannot do that. They can't do it consistently enough. But it will end up blowing up and backfiring on them. Um, but Philip Rivers could do that. You know, he's struggling a little bit more now that he's old, but that's 
same type of situation with Sam. So you're definitely right if you're just watching the feet, looking at it and saying, this doesn't look right. But I don't think it really matters with Sam that most. I think he can do what he does um, from different balances, different settings. And it's not going to matter because he can do it consistently because he's just that good when he's doing it. No question that he can do things that other quarterbacks can't do when his feet aren't set perfectly. And that is an awesome trait to have. However, you obviously make it a lot tougher on yourself and you increase the likelihood that you're going to make a bad throw if you're off balance or your feet aren't set. So like I said, it's not something you want to get in the habit of. It's great that he can do it when he has to, but I'm sure that Gase is going to continue to work with him to fix the footwork issue. However, to back up your point, Chris, one thing I will say is Sam Darnold reminds me a little bit of Roy Jones Jr., if you're a boxing fan, you know what I'm about to say. If you're not, I'll explain it. Roy Jones Jr. is one of the greatest fighters of all time, and he had terrible form. Everything he did in there was wrong. The way he held his hands, the way he set his feet, everything was wrong. But because he had such incredible speed and reflexes and athleticism, he was able to get away with doing anything he wanted, more or less, for the bulk of his career. Now, that ended up hurting him at the end because once his reflexes slowed even a nanosecond, guys were able to start tagging him and all the things that he was doing wrong came back to bite him and in fact I forget who it was but there was a trainer that once said that there was a whole generation of people learning to box who were learning to box wrong because of Roy Jones Jr. because everybody wanted to be the next Roy Jones but you could only be the next Roy Jones if you have his God-given gifts I think it's kind of similar with Sam Darnold but I will say that I do think that he's better off limiting the number of times that he has to do that because it does put you in a position where you're more likely to have an errant throw. And as I said, I think Gase is going to continue to work with him on that. Next question comes in from Jets Takes. He says, I think Demarius Thomas has more gas in the tank than we may have originally thought. Is this an overreaction to his last game or can he continue to be a difference maker in a Gase offense like he has been before? He is not going to be the Demarius Thomas that we saw in Denver. No chance. However, if he can be the Demarius Thomas that we saw against the Cowboys, which is a nice number three receiver who's productive, then that trade was well worth it. And Demarius Thomas does have more left in the tank than we thought. When the Jets got Demarius Thomas, I saw it as a decent depth move, but I didn't really see it as anything more than that. Of course, we then found out that Quincy Nuna got hurt. I didn't think that Demarius Thomas was going to be able to do much other than maybe catch a pass or two here and there, but he looked really good against Dallas. I think the fact that teams are going to key in on Robbie Anderson and Jamison Crowder is going to help him too. His familiarity with the Gase offense will certainly serve him well, and I'll be honest, I know that everybody talked a lot about his leadership skills and he's a good locker room guy and he's a Super Bowl winner. And I didn't put a lot of stock into that because I think sometimes that stuff gets overhyped. But I really have liked what I've heard and seen from Demarius Thomas since he's gotten here. So I think he has a chance to be a much better acquisition than I originally thought, than a lot of other people originally thought. And I think that he just may have more left in the tank than many of us thought. Credit to Joe Blewett on this, who watched his film from last year pre-injury and said that he believed that Demarius Thomas could be pretty productive in this case offense. The verdict is still out as to whether or not he's going to be able to continue to do this on a regular basis, but the early returns are good. 
Yeah, uh, look, I just said this a couple questions ago. I brought this up and said that it looks like he, it's a better acquisition than I thought it was going to be. And I was all for the move at the time. I just didn't have high expectations for mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't have super high expectations, but they don't need a ton out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, give me that Dallas game, and that's fine. It's not like he caught 12 passes for 100-something yards, but he made key plays in key moments. And you also look at the role he has, what they asked him to do, and how that balances out with everybody else. Again, Robbie opening up things by being able to take off the top. Uh, Jamison Crowder doing everything in the middle and short. Once Hurton comes back, him being able to do that. And then you can just hit Demarius Thomas on these crossers pretty much all day long. I mean, when they when they need him, he's going to be there. And uh, he's got the veteran. He, this is a something I love to talk about with certain receivers. Um, you, a quarterback, when a quarterback can trust the receiver to be exactly where he's supposed to be, that receiver has a lot of value to the quarterback, especially when you have a quarterback that can throw with anticipation like Sam Darnold can. Uh, you look at that touchdown to Ryan Griffin that he threw. Darnold threw that ball well before Ryan Griffin made his move to cut in and turn around to catch that ball. That ball was already thrown and going to the spot where it needed to be well before Ryan Griffin got there. And Darnold threw that when he did because he trusted Ryan Griffin to be there. And Griffin was. He caught it, boxed out, made the play, got over the goal line. So Demarius Thomas is somebody that Sam Darnold can trust to be exactly where he's supposed to be and for Darnold to be able to hit when he does. And because defenses are going to have their key on Robbie Anderson and Jamison Crowder and Chris Herndon, that's going to allow – uh, Demarius Thomas, if he just looks anything like he did last week, that's allow that allow him to make big plays, especially a big third down play, or when you're driving late in the, uh, in the half or late in the game, all of a sudden Demarius Thomas breaks out for a thirty yard reception and moves the chains and uh, to, to get to eat up more clock and move down the field in better field position because everybody else is focused there. And your point about his veteran leadership and presence is duly noted. And, you know, it's one of those things. If if you sign a defensive player for that reason right now with this team, I'm going to kind of roll my eyes at you. This, this defense has plenty of veteran leadership. And even the young guys that they have aren't leaders enough. You know, Jamal's you, technically, I guess he's a veteran, but he's, he's still a younger guy. Um they they don't need that veteran leadership. The offensive line has plenty of veteran leadership, but it's still Sam Darnold. You know, Le'Veon Bell in the backfield's got some veteran leadership, but that and I you could even count Jameson Crowder there, but he hasn't been through and, and had the success Demarius Thomas has. Doesn't have the familiar familiarity with the system. With this skill set group of guys that veteran leadership probably helps and then again the comfort level that sam darnold will get from knowing that he can trust demarius thomas to be where he wants to be i don't expect him to be putting up huge numbers i don't expect teams you know fans around the league to be like wow i'm blown away demarius thomas still looks great but for jets fans who are going to watch each and every week this feels like you know you could get like almost like 
old school Jericho Kotsri type production out of him. Like he's not going to have these huge games, but he's going to have at least three to five, maybe to seven, like timely, great timing plays where he picks up a first down, he moves the chains, where he gets some chunk yardage on a play to set him up in better field position, where he just makes the right play at the right time. That's going to wrap up part one of the weekend mailbag. We will be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, go ahead and read Chris's very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Follow him on Twitter at CNimbly and at JetsInsider. Follow his deputy editor, the president of the Calvin Anderson fan club. Even though Calvin Anderson has been picked up by another team, Alan Schechter at Alan underscore S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.